Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. And I'm very excited to introduce our guest today, who is the owner and founder of Professional Success South, a professional sales training and business consulting firm. His career began in the United States Army, which is near and dear to my heart because that's where I started, where he learned discipline and the importance of strict attention to detail. Over the next eight years, he made his way up the ranks to sergeant, where he learned not only leadership, but the importance of clear, effective communication and training, which I'm going to also point out that as a sergeant, he probably had a few guys like me who were second lieutenants that needed his wisdom at the time if they would listen to him. He transitioned out of the military where he entered the retail automotive industry as a salesperson and moved through finance, sales management, and finally into that esteemed position of general sales manager within these dealerships, which he ran a couple of dealerships in doing that. That's a that's a big deal. That's a tough spot. We're going to talk about hurting all those cats, which is the subtitle of my first book. And now he trains and coaches the basics of communication and how paying attention to detail will build a strong foundation. He's got a weekly podcast titled Get Focused with himself, Bill Kay and Gina Fay. He is training to become a triathlete and is on a mission to become the number one ranked member of his age group, despite not knowing how to swim when he first began training two years ago. So we're going to get an update on that. Please welcome to Leading from the Front, Bill Kersija. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for serving. They yeah. can't see the video uh, for me, but right behind me is my American flag that uh, represents that service that I had too. So yes, thank you as well. I uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate it, and uh, yeah, we we raised our hand to the Constitution to defend and protect against all enemies, foreign and domestic. A lot of people don't know that that's the oath that yeah. we take at all levels in the military. So oh, thanks yeah. for being with me today. Yes, thanks for having me. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, you said you started in the military and, and learned discipline and attention to detail. And what what are some of the things when you think back on your eight years in the military that you remember that really stuck with you that serve you today in helping other leaders? So it was the main thing is the confidence, right? The I went into the military as, you know. I'd say I've changed, but as a mama's boy, right? And, um, you know, 46 years old and still the same way in that sense. But I was very shy and uh, what's the term now? Introvert. (laughs) So, you know, the military really opened me up as far as giving me and building the confidence within me to communicate, to really listen and speak up and have a voice. And it, it sounds strange, saying that the military gave me a voice because you're told orders and you follow them, but they really provide an environment for you to create your own leadership abilities and skills. And that is, you know, the voice that you, you gain over the years in the military. Yeah. People don't, the, the problem I, I 
try to share with people about the military is many people's perspective of the military is watching some movie that's either in war <laughs> or boot camp. Yeah. And 98% of our time is in training and working together as teams to develop that preparation for when we get in those situations. Absolutely. So uh, it's, it's a very little known, unless you've been there, people don't really understand what we go through in the camaraderie and the teamwork and the communication that you're talking about. But, you know, a lot of people, there had to be a, a, a progression, kind of a moment in time that this young man, Bill, goes in the military. He's, a, he's not even a private yet. I mean, they, they barely, they, they call you all kinds of names when we're in boot camp, <laughs> right? But w- when was it that you found your voice? When did you finally kind of sense that confidence and ability to be able to find your voice? Do you remember that? It was a big transition for me. So, you know, you go through your, your boot camp, which is just your, your flat, straight military training. And then you went to uh, AIT or your advanced individual training where I was a mechanic. So it specialized on, you know, fixing vehicles, so on and so forth. My first duty station was Fort Hood, Texas. And then the real big transition happened when I was, uh, my first orders came down for me to go to South Korea. So mm. I had to go from Fort Hood to South Korea and Korea was, you're like, oh, wow, it's the other side of the world. Right. And, you know, that was a really big moment for me where I, tr- I went from now at that point, I was a, a private first class. So an E3 and, you know, my time in Korea, I moved into the specialist position. I actually re-enlisted while I was in Korea. Uh, it, it really was a big turning point as far as I knew what I wanted to do. And I made the decision based upon my own journey. So as you were going through this process of, of survival within the military and, and, and going overseas, this is the best thing that uh, I, uh, uh, I was actually overseas at nine years old. My dad was in the military. And then in the army, uh, for on a special assignment for months over in Germany. So you get, you get to travel the world and it changes yeah. your perspective, doesn't it? Oh yeah. hundred percent. You really t- appreciate what you have here in the United States. Uh, I'm a big believer. I know that financially and, and everything else, there's no way that you could physically put every person that is in the United States citizens through our military system because it, the cost is just enormous for the training, but. I do also see the value of seeing other countries and the perspective it gives you on our own country from that standpoint and how how much we have here and that we don't realize that, right? It's like you don't know what you have until it's gone. And being sent overseas was a, a, a light bulb going off. And very quickly, you've seen that, wow, you know, I grew up really well, <laughs> you know, and you don't realize that until you see it. So... What what was the uh, some of the epiphanies that you had going to this, not just a foreign country? I mean, this isn't like going to England where they speak the same language. This is a completely different culture going to Korea. And do you remember those times and like what, you know, what you felt like or what it how it hit you when when you got off that plane and you stepped on foreign soil and you started to see this new culture? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was immediate. Now, this was many years ago. Uh, this was back, I, I was shipped to Korea, 95, 96. So I went over there and in, in the middle 90s. And it's a third world country at that point in time. I described it as, you know, it was every, 
they put every vehicle, everybody tried to drive. It was, they tried to fast forward from the 1940s, 50s to 1995 in the blink of an eye. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but you've seen families and you've seen houses where they didn't have bathrooms inside. You know, they didn't even have floors. Some of them were gravel floors where they lived because I was not only stationed in in South Korea, I was stationed up north, right near the DMZ, because of my MOS, my job responsibilities, so on and so forth. I was support for our forward line there, you know. And and to find out your first briefing, your your expectancy is fifteen minutes or under if North Korea decided to attack, and we were there to delay the progression to Seoul, which is the capital of South Korea. So right away. You quickly understand that this isn't, you know, Texas or where I was. I was at Fort Hood, Texas. You're you're not in the states anymore, and yeah. it, you have to you have to step up to the plate at that point. Yeah, you're not in Kansas anymore. Yeah, you're, absolutely. You're in Korea. Yeah. So how how has that experience served you today in working with your clients, and how did it serve you through uh, after the military? getting into the automotive industry and, and being a, a sales manager, sales leader, how did, how did those experience uh, bring those together for me on, on what it did for your perspective on life and, and on leadership? Well, I fear, right? So uh, everyone speaks about fear at this point in time. What holds us back? It's our fear. Uh, now I'm, I'm very young at this point in, in my career and, but I'm a, I'm confident as a mechanic, number one, and I was put in situations. I was at brigade level because I, I worked on on the type of vehicles and equipment that brigade used. And for people that weren't in the military, brigade is is pretty high up. It's over overseeing many many companies, and we had a, you know a full bird colonel, which is one of the the rank right below a first star general who was mm-hmm. in charge of our whole unit, and he. He was in charge of all of the units towards the DMC, right? So this this is a very important position. And he called on me to be his mechanic. So when he was, you know, coming landing from a helicopter flight from Seoul up to where we were, I get the phone call. I have to meet at the motor pool and work on so on and so forth. So back to the fear thing is here's a man whose lives are in his hands, right? With any decision that he makes many, many, many lives. And him and I are talking like you and I are right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, obviously with the correct sir and, and so on that you use in the military, but he still looked at me as someone that he, he trusted, believed in so on and so forth. And I looked at him as another person in my life. Right. And a lot of people would be intimidated in those positions because of the rank, because of the position. And that's really looking back now, what really molded me to be able to do what I do now. So, I mean, throughout my, my career as in sales and, and running stores, there was never a point in time where I was intimidated or feared someone else because they were either an owner or, you know, uh, a, a higher position than my title. Right. And, I just looked at them as another person and treated them that way. And what you find is that once you communicate on that level, they it's a mutual respect. And it's very easy for someone to speak to you when you're speaking to them in the same type of respect. 
Yeah, and and let's make sure we understand something though, because that 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 technical competence that you demonstrate as the mechanic to provide the service to the colonel's vehicle, and I I just just a little calculation, okay? But you were a spec four at the time, I think, right? Correct. Yes. Okay, specialist for E four, okay, and uh, and then you're talking to an O six. Yeah. Um, that's 11 ranks above you. So people know like what, you know, you go from E4 to E9 and then O1 to 06, do the math. It's like 10 or 11 levels above you. And yet because of your technical competency and your confidence as we started this conversation, and I'm going to say that Colonel's leadership, because he treated you with respect, yes. which, uh, you know, people don't often understand the military because they see these, these war films and somebody yelling at somebody. Yeah. And it's not like that. It's demonstration of human respect. And when you show a competence level as a leader or mechanic or technical expertise, then people at all levels show that respect and they want you to be part of their team. So you were selected to be part of his team because his vehicle need to get from point A to point B sometimes very quickly because of uh, urgent situations. Absolutely. So that's, that's great. That's great stuff. So how have you now let's, let's go into the automotive industry. Cause this is cool stuff. This is, you, you got out of the military and now you're, you're, you went into sales, you went into finance, you went to sales management. Let's, let's jump to sales management a little bit and talk about the first time you were a sales manager, you're hurting these salespeople, right? Hurting cats. And, and truly for people that have never led salespeople, you have to understand that they are all so very, very different when you talk. Cause in operations, a lot of times we have a bunch of engineers, right? right. And, and I've worked in engineering organizations. They kind of think the same way. They act the same way. They tend to be more introverted than extroverted. A lot of times they tend to be more thoughtful and problem solving. Salespeople aren't like that. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> so here you are. No fear. No fear. You're put in charge of the sales team. By the way, were you part of the sales team when you got promoted? Yes. Yes. And that's oh, an interesting aspect. <laughs> Talk to us about that. Right. So I, I'm glad you brought that up because in the military, as you make your, your transition to different positions and you go from, you know, a soldier position to a leadership position, there's a, there's a, a rule that you are removed from that unit, right? Because if you're asked to, to let's say, we'll use an extreme, have someone charge a hill, it's easier for someone to listen to you and understand you if you were moved into a leadership position from somewhere else. Now, if you were just next to me yesterday and now you're asking me to charge a hill, it's easier for me to say, Get out of here. I'm not charging that hill. So or, the, or it's like, Bill, you're dude, like we're friends. We, yeah, what are you doing to me? here? Can't <laughs> can't we turn left a little bit here and maybe go around this big tree? I mean right. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so so when you're moved from one of the one of the crew to leading the crew, there's a challenge there, right? And it doesn't matter if it's military or or in the civilian sector. So this happened to me in my automotive career. I went from you know, now I'm a salesman. Then finance was the first step because, you know, you have to learn the financing aspect before you can actually be on the sales desk and sales management position. And no issues there. It was pretty simple transition. But then the management part of it, when I was moved from finance to management, was a, was a little difficult, right? Because I still had and still have my military mindset of, you know, if, if nine o'clock starts work, you're there at 8.45, you know, and in the car business, especially 
because this was years ago when I was first put in this position, you know, they show up at 9.15. And then the first thing they do when they show up is talk about where they're ordering breakfast. And now it's 9.30 by the, and they're sitting around eating. And you're like, the day started already. Let's go. So Daylight's was, burning, baby. <laughs> it was, it was uh, you know, I had a couple conversations with the ownership and the the uh, upper management at that point in time of, okay, it's a little bit different. We, you know, we expect a lot because, and it's true as I've progressed through, through this, this career, you know, there are situations for salespeople that you don't get to go home when the, when the store closes, right? At nine o'clock at night or eight o'clock or six o'clock, whatever it may be. If there's customers there and you're still in the middle of things, you're there. And sometimes it could be three, four hours after the time that we close that you're finishing up. So, you know, you have to find that, you know, like you're, you're, you were stating hurting the cats. You have to find that, that common ground that, you know, you get the work done, but you also aren't burning people out. Right. Yeah. So it really does in the sales scene become more about the process and the results, not about the time, right? It's, Absolutely. you know, are we following a good process? Are, there, are people taking care of the customers? Are they closing the deals? And oh, by the way, uh, Bill, you haven't sold a car in three months. I think you need to go find a new career. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> when it, in sales, when it comes down to it, it comes down to the results, whether they show up at nine or nine fifteen, unless they were supposed to meet a customer at nine o'clock and then they need to be at eight forty five. Right. So yes. we've got to establish that kind of flexible approach to the process and the expectations with people to be professional. So yeah. that was a shift for you. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's still to this day, it's it's a challenge. Right. Because, you know, you still have aspects of business that need to be done. But now what I've seen and what I coach a lot of the, 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 the dealerships and organizations that I work with is you have to see it for what it is, right? So you have your salespeople and you have them, they're very good at what they do, but what they're not good at, why do we keep trying to make them do that, right? So, you know, our industry in the automotive industry and sales, I'm, I'm assuming across many, many platforms has evolved to more of a disciplined multiple times of uh, attempts to contact and follow up and things along those natures, which aren't, you know, part of a qualified salesperson's repertoire a lot of times, right? They're not, they're not good at that. I, I use sports analogies all the time where you wouldn't have your quarterback running up the the center of the line as a running back, right? You know, everybody has a unique position and job and responsibility and building that type of structure will be much more beneficial and long lasting than trying to make people do things that they're not good at, right? Just because it has to be done. Yeah. So uh, when I work with sales teams, I was just working with a sales team of uh executive vice president and five sales managers last week with a client of mine. And we were talking about this very thing because it's a, it's a real struggle, right? For sales leadership, sales management. And what my, and I'm going to ask you this question because my, my philosophy on this is, is great sales leaders find the weaknesses of the individuals in the process of a sales process, sales team. And each individual has a weakness. They have these limitations that they just don't do well. Okay. There are certain things that they have to be able to do, 
but there's a lot of disciplined pieces of what they have to do. They're not good at it might be filling out the paperwork. It might be right. following up with client. It might be. So the sales successful sales leader fills in the blanks. Yeah. They fill in where they're not good rather than keeping to pounding them and asking them to do something that they're just not good at. 100%. I mean, how do you feel? I mean, I, I am not good at detail. I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now. I was a commanding officer. I was a captain. I was a commanding officer. I had people cover <laughs> my butt all the time, right? I still have that today. My sales team of statarians will call me and say, hey, Gary, uh, we're supposed to be doing a workshop in two weeks. Uh, are we going to have a meeting? Oh, that's a great <laughs> idea. Let's have a meeting and get organized, right? And they cover me all the time because I've got so much going on that they have my back. And we talk about this in the military. My brother, John taught me this IGYB. I've got your back. We know that we know that automatically in the military, right? But we bring that into sales leadership now. And it's like, sounds like you did this with your sales team. I've got your back. What are you bad at? And once you learned what they're bad at, you filled in the blanks, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and why wouldn't you, right? There's no downside to it. You know, a lot of times people go, well, I, especially when they're paying them a, a large percentage, right? So in sales, it's commission based most of the time, right? Or depending on the state and the regulations, you have to have some sort of, you know, foundational pay and so on and so forth. But ultimately they're getting paid a, a very good amount of money. And, you know, sometimes the ownership, the one that's stroking the check is looking at that like, they should be able to do everything because I pay them for that. No, you don't. You pay them for what their talents are, what they are very good at. So why not cultivate that? Because what happens is if you try to make people say they're good at the conversation and, and customers love them and, and, and they buy all day from them, but they're not good at, like you said, paperwork and organizational skills. Well, guess what? I'm hiring a secretary for that person. I'm yes. hiring somebody because – you know what? If I'm trying to make them focus on the paperwork, guess what suffers? The conversation, the customers. Well, why aren't you, you, you know, yeah, your paperwork's clean, but you haven't sold anything for a couple of weeks. Well, that's because my paperwork's clean, right? It, and it sounds like an easy fix for some people, but that's because that person that it's an easy fix is good at paperwork and not good at talking to a customer, right? So it's really looking in the mirror a lot of time as a leader and understanding that we have faults as leaders. And we need help from people to fill in our gaps, right? So if we have faults and we can see that and recognize that, then shouldn't we do that with the people that we lead as well? Well, in fact, let's reverse it and ask the team to help fill in our blanks, our, our weaknesses, our limitations. So yeah. then I, I, I fill in yours and we have an inc- incredibly strong team. And I think that the, the fallacy here, the real f- fantasy of a position of, of either leadership or sales or whatever the position is, is a job description. Yeah. And people say, we got this job description. These are your expectations. You have to fulfill all aspects of this. And, and I'm like, okay, you know, not everybody is good at everything. Right. And this is not school anymore where you have to get A's in physics, in English, in Spanish, in, you know, all these subjects, you have to get A's in all these things in order to be the best. Wait a minute. What if I'm, I'm great at physics and, and I, I am, I mean, I'm sorry, but I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to let you know, Bill, I could visualize physics equations in my head and never had to study physics when I was in school. So I could do that. 
Right. If I had the same expectation, if that was a requirement for you as a salesperson, I'd say, Bill, just, just visualize it in your head. And you're looking at me like, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, <laughs> who can do that? It's nuts. But if we have physics equations to take care of, you give it to me. If I need something to communicate and you're really good at that, I give it to you. And now we have this amazing team, right? Right. That's, that's the part that eludes a lot of leadership. And that's because so how, we're looking at that. How did you take that idea, that concept, which I, I mean, I'm a proponent of, I love it, of, of filling in the blanks with the salespeople. Now you're a general manager. You've got sales managers working for you. And I can guarantee there were some sales managers that worked under you that felt that it's not my job to do their job. <laughs> That's their mindset, right? A hundred percent. Well, you know, it's pretty simple concept in sales. What is one of the major issues? Follow up, right? Picking up the phone and, and contacting the potential client, the customer, however you want to name it. A lot of salespeople struggle with that aspect because they're good when someone's face to face, but when, you know, quite honestly, they don't want to do the, the grunt work, right? Well, you know, I pick up the phone. It never changes for me. It doesn't matter to this day as a, as a consultant and whatnot at, at my organizations, I still pick up the phone and make phone calls because how do I expect you to do something that I wouldn't do? Right. Or that I'm not doing. And then, oh, that's a that's a military. That yeah. right there is a military mindset that we, ne- it, you know, I don't care whether I was a captain or you were a sergeant. There were times you're out in the field. And if we're digging ditches and somebody needs help, I would jump in and help. That's just the way it is. Yeah. The, There's it, no rank. It has to be completed. Absolutely. We have to get it done. The job has to be completed. And and that's how I look at everything. I'm never too big. I'm never too small. I'm right I'm right with you. And if if you treat people that way and they see you doing the work, they're going to be more inclined to do the work as well. Right? Yeah. So it's it's not an ego thing. It's not I'm better than you. It's just we're we're in this together. Because well, and you know what? I'm going to go back just for a second because you had a colonel that's and people need to understand 06 just below a general who who selected you to work with him and he respected your competence as an E4, treated you like a man and recognized the fact that, hey, hey, colonel, if you want your if you want your vehicle fixed, I'm going to do that for you. If you're going to do it yourself, you're pretty screwed. Okay, so. Show all respect. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, that's not the mindset, but it, it's kind of that confidence, right? That I'm, right. I'm here to help. I'm here to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, and why not? You know, why, why keep trying to, to beat your head against the wall? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, was there ever a time with a sales manager that they just flat out refused to support their salespeople and you had to either convince them otherwise or convince them out the door? Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, there you're going to run into those situations all the time. And that's a, that's a real important point, right? So I went from finance to my first sales manager job because the sales manager they let go didn't have the ability to let people go. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, when you think, when you use the term firing someone, then, you know, oh, you're mean, right? How could you take that? They have a family, they have this and that and everything else, right? But what we fail to realize is that no one ever fires someone, okay? We fire ourselves. 
All right. We understand in all positions that we ever face what the job is, right? We know what the level of needed to be successful or not successful. And if we're not doing what it takes to be done, then we don't deserve the position, right? And it, all it's taking is that manager, or that leader to to tell you, hey, listen, it's just not working out You're because of X, Y, or Z, right? So I had I had moved into the position because I had to, you know, evaluate, train, and if they were not trainable, if they couldn't get to the level that they needed to be, then make the decision of moving on. And sometimes that decision is the best decision for the person, right? This isn't a good fit, yeah. you know, and sometimes people need to hear that. And it, it doesn't feel like it at the point that it happens. But, you know, 30, 60 days down the road, they might look back and go, you know what? That was the best thing that ever happened to me because it's it's an organizational decision, right? So, yes, we don't we shouldn't, you know, put everybody in that job description frame where you have to follow, you know, all 10, 10 things. But in the end of it, it's a business, right? And yes, you have to bring a level of personal to business to really create a team and a bond. But also when it's all said and done, it still is a business. There still is a mission. There's still something that needs to be accomplished. And you have to have the right people in place to accomplish that. And that's overlooked a lot of times. You know, I was at a, a client just two days ago and they're creating a position for someone because they want to pay the person more money or give the person ability to make more money, but they don't think that their actual management, right? So they're this middle management position. And I said, I said, okay, so what are the reasons why you don't think they're worth the management position? And if we can, they be trained, can they be taught that? Because why would you create something in between just to give them more money, right? That doesn't make sense to me. Let's train mm -hmm. them. Let's work with them to elevate to the next level to where they're earning it on their own. Yeah, and sometimes, quite frankly, like you're saying, is people just can't fill those roles, whether it's salesperson, sales manager, general sales manager, whatever the position might be. And that's why I say in leadership, it takes five to 10 years to become mediocre. Yes. And the the way you described the process is say, I got to fire somebody You say, okay, let's back up for six months now and look at the process that we've gone through to work with this person around their performance. And whenever anybody says, oh, you're mean, you're firing the person, you go, am I really? I've spent six months yeah. working on their performance, working on their competencies, understanding what their attitude is, trying to figure out whether this is a good fit or not, having conversations with them almost every single day talking to them, working with them. And I actually had a policy. I had two policies with people that worked for me. Number one, nothing will go into your performance review that I haven't talked to you about prior to the performance review. Right. That's the first one. The second one is if I tell you you're on a 60-day performance plan, that's code for get your resume ready. <laughs> So if I was in an organization, you know, you can't tell people I'm going to fire you in 60 days. You can't, you right. know, you've got all these rules and everything. So I'd say, hey, Bill, listen, hey, dude, let's sit down. We've been working for six months and trying to improve your performance. It's actually getting worse. So I'm going to put you on a 60-day performance plan. And you look at me and go, oh, that's code for go find a job. Right. And 
it worked really, really well. So I've, I've fired very, very few people in my, in my professional career over 30 years, uh, with using that policy. I also turned a lot of people around because I followed the process that you talk about of working with them. Cause a lot of times this is why it's so difficult to be the leader. They don't know how to train their people. Well, I was, yes, you're bringing up a great point because you talk about process. So I had the <laughs> unfortunate, but fortunate uh, scenarios in the military of I had soldiers that didn't want to be soldiers. Okay. So, and you can tell when someone doesn't want to be a soldier, they eat everything in sight. So there is a weight requirement in, in the United States military and there's a PT standard that you have to maintain. So then they start failing their PT. And I know as <laughs> you, you've seen these situations as well. Well, one of the things that, that I learned was there's an extensive process to remove someone from the military. So you have to counsel and document and that there's months of work that's involved in this. When you get into the civilian sector, most organizations, especially in the automotive industry, do not have anything in place like that, nor do they teach leaders those types of steps. So what happens is it's just like a Tuesday and somebody decides, well, they're no longer needed here. We need to let them go. And, and I go, wait, 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 what, why? What is it that they're not doing? What haven't, have we worked with them? Have we counseled them? Do they even know what we expect of them? And you said a, a performance review. That's an amazing thing. And that's not really done in the civilian sector as much as it needs to be, right? So having those processes put in place are extremely important. And it doesn't matter to me whether you're a, a five-person company or a 500-person company. You need to have that structure so that people understand what the expectations are and you can train with and you as a leader understand what you expect from them instead of just a feeling. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a lot of hard work, but it's uh, a demonstration of what, as we talk about in our leadership program, compassionate accountability yeah. that I'm going to hold you accountable, but I'm going to be compassionate and treat you with respect as a human being and to fire you without even being clear about what, is expected. And this, this word expectation gets thrown around so much, Bill. It's, it drives me nuts because it's, it's a single word that encapsulates an understanding from the mission of the company, the values of the company, the goals, the job description, the role that you play within the organization, the values on how you're supposed to behave, and then the daily activities and priorities that are established in all of those things together where a, a direct supervisor and their direct report know and understand exactly what all that is and the priority order of those every single day. Right. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck for that. And I, we've got all kinds of systems and you probably do too. So now you're helping, you're helping companies and clients and individuals with your, with your consulting and coaching and training is uh, what you're doing now is you're helping others do what you did as a general sales manager, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's really putting those things that, that you just mentioned all in the place. And then, you know, holding the ownership and upper management accountable to following these things. Because, yeah. you know, what you find is many, many organizations have processes in place, but they're not following them. They're not holding themselves to it. Therefore, none of the employees under them are, are holding themselves as well. Uh, the discipline, we come back to that, right? Yeah. All right. So we got to do two things very quickly as we yeah, wrap absolutely. up. 
Number one, we got to get an update on the triathlon. <laughs> How well, are you doing with that? I'm doing. I'm doing very well, actually. Uh, following this, I'm I'm swimming with my coach. Uh, you know, real important to me to keep that consistency up and and really working at it. Uh, it. All of this really applies to a lot of the stuff that we've been discussing. You know, two years ago. I made a choice. I wanted to get healthy. I needed a goal in mind to get healthy, and that was to compete in triathlons. Now, I don't want to just compete in them. I wanted to own my age group. Now, my age group's 45 to 50. Uh, we hit a little road bump this year because, obviously, there's no actual competition going on. So it's all focused on next year, right? So really still working on that foundational structure and exercise and building on top of that. But yeah, when I first started, he, I still had the video. He videoed me and I could not, a 25, what is it, 25 yard uh, swimming pool. Uh, I couldn't make it from one side all the way to the other without taking a break. Wow. Yeah, because wow. I, like I said, even in the military, you're taught how to not drown, right? So I, YMCA as a young kid, I was taught how to swim, but really not to drown, right? And now I can swim multiple laps nonstop. So it's, it's really made a big difference for me. And I owe a lot of that to my coach because he taught me how to do it, the proper way of doing it. And, and to me, that was an important lesson to, to see that at where I'm at in my life, I still need experts and coaches and people that focus and that's what they do work with me. And, you know, it, it reminded me that you're never too big. You can never let your ego be a big part of it. And, and that's the only way you learn and grow. Which, which seems to be a, a common theme. And a lot of the things that we talk about in leadership is, is to get a coach. And when you physically can't do something like swimming, it's easy to say, I can't do this. I've got to get help. The problem in leadership is there's a lot of mediocre bosses, good bosses out there that could be great, but yeah. they need they need additional training. They need additional support. They need coaching. Our leadership program does that and are getting phenomenal results. But my last question for you, Bill, is if you could write yourself a letter and send it back to you, maybe to that spec four or maybe that sergeant or maybe that general manager – and you sent that letter back, what would you tell yourself? Wow. It's, you know, there's so many inklings to want to change something, but really it's just believe in yourself and stay the course because looking back, all the mistakes and troubles and issues that I've encountered have also given me all the great triumphs and things to celebrate too. So really it's what has molded and made me who I am now. So really just, just stay the course, stay focused and just keep doing what you're doing, you know, because yeah. it, I, I can't complain about the results. Uh, I'm always working to obviously to, to do better and do more, but yeah, yeah, that's probably what I would write. <laughs> that's great. I think, I think that's good advice for a lot of people. Just be who you are, Learn from your mistakes and don't regret. There's no yeah. regrets. That doesn't help. So I want to thank Mr. Bill Kersija today for his wisdom and insights from, from sergeant to general sales manager to consultant today. Thanks a lot for being part of our podcast, Bill. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Harry. 
I am Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thank you again for being part of our Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care and be well. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit peterkatz.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.